Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. Myself, I'm the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com, Pete Sweeney, hanging out with my one-eyed, esteemed <laughs> deputy editor, John Dixon. John, how you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling okay. Uh, but you see my my right eye right here? You see that? Yeah. yeah you It can't see you. <laughs> Okay. No vision all right. at all in my right eye right now while yeah, the let's, effects let's, of the surgery continue. Let's let the listeners know this is normal. John is not yeah. a pirate now. We are in recovery. <laughs> we had to have some midseason surgery. You didn't even need to go on IR, which is a plus because that means you would yeah, have missed right. three games. You were right. limited for the one game, and we're hoping to have you back in, in full particip- participation of practice by Friday or so. It might take longer than that. We'll roll with the punches, but we're good to – have you on board here as we go, John? I'm glad to be back. Yeah, congrats uh, at least in on a limited that. capacity. Yeah. Congrats on the surgery. All right, here we go. Let's uh, say this. If you love the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, please, if you would, leave us a rating and a review. We haven't had a rating or a review in a while. So somebody, somebody step up here on this Tuesday. What a great day to leave a review and let us know how we're doing. Always looking to improve uh, what we can here. We're going to talk about the news on this show. We'll go over what Andy Reid said in his Monday afternoon Zoom press conference. We will share our marinated takeaways, as we always do, and then we'll finish up with the best Chiefs thing we heard all week. I think the good thing, John, here as we get into double digits of weeks, we're heading into week 10, Sunday Night Football against the Las Vegas Raiders, is there's not a lot of news to report, and that's typically a good thing at this stage not a, a ton of injury concerns you know you do have Clyde Edwards Elair and Kyle Long on IR but no new injury concerns we'll see about Lucas Niang when the first injury report comes out on Wednesday but a good position to be in here at week 10 you're above 500 again and it seems like the AFC is certainly opening up for the Chiefs oh man that's certainly true and we we didn't see that coming uh three no. or four weeks ago uh with the way the season began so um, it's it's a very good sign for the Chiefs moving forward that that win came at an opportune time that they might be able to leverage it into some success in the division. But there's still a lot of tough games to go, uh, starting with a division game on Sunday against the Raiders on the road. So this is going right. to be a tough a tough test. I have just a wide take about the AFC right now, and I think I'm going to dial back some of the things that I was saying toward the beginning of the season because I just didn't foresee everyone seemingly falling off right now the Tennessee Titans midway through the year or, or more than halfway for the Chiefs are in first place in the AFC at seven and two 
They were able to pull, pull out a win against a talented Los Angeles Rams team on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. But they don't have yeah. their best player in Derrick Henry. To think that they are going to continue to have two losses through the second half of the season seems like a stretch to me. The Baltimore Ravens are right behind them. They're at 6-2. and two. Do we really think that team, with all that injuries, is going to be able to continue that up throughout the season? The L.A. Chargers are next at 5 and three, the Chiefs have an opportunity to even things out with them and, and add another loss to their schedule. They've been a little bit up and down. The Buffalo Bills lost nine to six to Jacksonville. That could be a confidence ruiner. We'll see how that yeah. plays out. The Chiefs get a crack at the Raiders, the next team at five and three after that. They get a crack at the next team, the Pittsburgh Steelers at five and three after that. Do we really think New England Patriots are going to go on and run the table with Mac Jones? Then you have the Kansas City Chiefs sitting at eight. I had said the AFC buy was out of the question, and I still think that it would be ambitious for them right. to, to yeah. get it. But yeah. there is a path now if right. the defense continues playing like this against formidable competition and the offense, and it's been a slow process here, slowly but surely figures it out, and you're able to win the rest of your games. And, and I know that sounds crazy, but there's only – Eight games left. We saw an Alex Smith team win 10 in a row, so let's not mm-hmm. get, get crazy here. You could be in a position, if you can keep that loss number at four, it seems like the bye could come back to you. It is a stretch, but they, the AFC is a conference where nobody wants to be the best team, and I think that's the biggest news <laughs> of all this week because you're getting to a point where if the Chiefs continue winning, especially if you get the Raiders win, especially if you get – uh, what will be the Cowboys win and you're seven and four heading into the bye week as these other two teams are randomly losing to bad teams, which the Chiefs have not done this year. Then I think all of a sudden that could, could really come back to you as far as the top of the conference. I never thought we'd be in a position to even have a chance at that. And, and I think it's real. And it certainly means they're a lot more competitive in the division. Um, uh, you know, we may not get the bye this year. We might not make it back to the Super Bowl. But I think it'd be great to notch that sixth consecutive division uh, win. Um, that would be a, a worthwhile achievement as far as I'm concerned this season. I don't want to sound like a guy that isn't, is only satisfied with that because I wouldn't be. But that would be a nice consolation if they could get that sixth division. Yeah, I mean, I'm year. saying the AFC buy seems suddenly, and again, I'm, I'm stressing here, possible. Yeah. The division yeah. is right there. The yeah. Chiefs are, are are well able to win a division. You have the Chargers at five and three, the Raiders at five and three, which can even up on Sunday. The Chiefs at five and four, and the Denver Broncos, who ripped off a really nice win against the Dallas Cowboys at five yeah. and four. We all thought that the NFC West would be the best division in football. San Francisco stinks. And so I'm looking at the AFC West. You know, you have teams that are above 500 throughout the division. I see that in the AFC North. And that is it. The AFC North with the Ravens, Steelers, Browns, and Bengals, and the West with the Chargers, Raiders, Chiefs, and Broncos are the only divisions with four teams above 500. So up for a running as far as the most competitive division in football, and the Chiefs are, are right in the mix now that they've able to win uh, back-to-back games for the first time this season. We mentioned that there's not a lot of news, John, and that includes the news, I think, on Clyde edwards Lair and Kyle Long. Andy Reid has been asked about these two players in previous weeks. Asked again about Clyde edwards Lair on Monday. We won't cover that in our section, second section because it was a non-update. I really am feeling like you won't see Clyde edwards Lair until, at this point, 
you may as well wait for the bye week. Plus, you have uh, Derek Gore, who's looked pretty good, Daryl Williams, who's looked pretty good, and I think you can get by against these two teams without him, and then hopefully after the bye week, he comes back fully fresh. Kyle Long, and this is my take on it, seems to me like he's a break glass if needed type of guy. Now, it gets interesting because last week you didn't have Mike Remmers, and so Lucas Niang gets hurt, and all of a sudden Andrew Wiley is there, and he let up a, a sack, a pretty bad sack in this mm-hmm. game. So you wonder if the Chiefs are getting to that position. But it, it, I, don't, I don't get the sense that the Chiefs are in a rush to see Kyle Long back. And I'll tell you, out at these media availabilities, we have not seen him since the summer. So I don't know if it is even a thing where he's in Kansas city again, this is just me speculating, but I know we constantly get asked for updates on these two players. I think after the bye week at the earliest at this juncture could be wrong about that, but that's just how I feel. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it is odd uh, that we don't know more about him, but again, that's sort of a product of the situation we find ourselves in uh, post COVID you know, we don't have the same access to uh, people on the team that we used to where we could, you know, take Burkholder aside and ask him a question off the record and, you know, get some kind of a sense what's going on um, or other players on the team who might know a little bit. So we're really left with what the coaches tell us. And Andy Reid just doesn't really like to tell us much about injuries. He never has. But it used, yeah. it used to be at least we had some other means to get some kind of information uh, even if it wasn't information we could share publicly, and we're not even getting that at this point. It's constantly a, a next man up answer, and you kind of a, appreciate that from Andy Reid. When a player is injured or now unavailable in our COVID era, in his mind, he's basically not on the team for a week, and and that's kind of the mentality he has with the team, and I think that's why so often in Kansas City and and really when other teams are able to step up without – having a particular player, it's just the mentality of like, who cares? It doesn't matter. I think about the <laughs> Packers against the undefeated Cardinals without Devontae Adams about two weeks ago now, and, and that's what gave you pause about the Chiefs and Packers game. The Chiefs ended up coming up with a peculiar win in a, in a way, a win that we haven't really seen in Kansas City in a long while where the offense just gets by and the defense really shine more on that in marinated takeaways. Odell Beckham Jr., is a name I never wanted to mention on the show ever unless the Chiefs were playing him. <laughs> and we're, we have to talk about him at least for a minute or two here. I know it's been a, a topic on Kansas City local AM radio this week. Would the Chiefs submit a claim? The answer is no. They're not going to submit a claim because it would be a $7 million price tag and the Chiefs just don't have the money or wiggle room at all. Uh, they made their move in bringing on Josh Gordon and trading for Melvin Ingram. This is the team now. Now, if... Beckham passes through waivers and then is available to pick his own team. I'd imagine that the Chiefs would explore, but it it does seem like the 49ers and the Seahawks are the reported favorites. I, I think this is a stretch from the things that I have heard. I think the Chiefs, when it comes to the offense, made their moves in in getting Josh Gordon and really feel like he could be that Number two guy still. I know it's been disappointing so far. Josh Gordon went on Twitter and actually said that he needs to be better this right. week, and, and he does, and he needs to get the playbook down, and he needs to 
I think, really instill some confidence in the quarterback to look his way. I think right, right now this could be a marinated takeaway. Sometimes we're always saying them as we go along here. But Patrick Mahomes is more or less staring down <laughs> Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. So getting the confidence of the quarterback is key. And and let's get let's go back to Beckham because I'm getting off on a Gordon tangent here, but I I just don't see it. I I really don't. This guy has has turned into a problem wherever he's went. It seemed like he completely ghosted the Cleveland Browns. And and I'm looking at some of the comments, and and you could tell that it's Beckham Jr.'s agent that's releasing some of these things. And and he's saying, well, I want to go to a Super Bowl contender. Look, I understand the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Cleveland Browns. The Browns are a good enough team, just like six other teams, to mm-hmm. win the AFC. You yeah. are on a Super Bowl contender. I, right. I don't I don't get it, and I, I don't like the move. I am never a guy that is like, oh, looking from the outside in, we know that player X is a quote-unquote locker room cancer, and I'm not going to go as far as to call Beckham Jr. a cancer. But, he, man, it, it just does not feel like he is a good thing for any kind of locker room and why as you're having problems already, would you bring in a player who could make things worse despite the talent on the football field? I, I did see the freelance points about Beckham jr. And, and running his routes open. And it did remind me of Patrick Mahomes being good for him, but maybe Patrick Mahomes of previous years that was clicking on, on, on all cylinders and hasn't been a point of frustration. I just think, not the right time to bring in a player like Beckham Jr. That's just where I, I come out on it. Well, you have to wonder if perhaps uh, Baker Mayfield didn't share the the uh, the passcode to get into the stadium, even if it's only one digit. I'm sorry. I just had to put that out there <laughs> after right. seeing those commercials, commercials over the weekend. Yes. <laughs> those things are funny. State, I Farm get... has, State Farm has not been kind to quarterbacks this year. Mayfield no. dealing with. <laughs> injuries throughout the year. Patrick Mahomes looks like a middle-of-the-road quarterback, and Aaron Rodgers looked like he lied to the general public and then made an absolute fool of himself. So a uh, three-for-three on State Farm. At least yeah. they have uh, Jake from State Farm. State Farm seems like he's completely healthy, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I don't think that's it. I think he's, uh, you know, he's just wanting to go to a sure thing. I don't know that there is a sure thing in the AFC right now, and maybe not even in the NFC. And uh, and you're exactly right. You know, if he wanted to play for a contender, he was in the right place. You know, and and he would be in a position to help them be a contender. And um, I, I just don't see how this this looks like a horizontal move to me, and that doesn't make any sense. I think. It would have been possible for the Chiefs, if they really wanted to do it, to do some stuff to get him on the roster salary-wise, particularly if he ends up clearing waivers. But I don't think they want to. You know, the only way they've got to do it right now, lacking a contract extension to Tyron Matthew that would save them some money on this year's cap— the only thing they've got left is to, you know, do magic deals on uh, Patrick Mahomes' contract, and I don't think they can do that during the season. Right. But uh, so, um, but it's not like they don't have ways to do it. That's the whole reason that Mahomes' contract is structured the way it is. But now that they made some big moves in this previous off season to get all these offensive linemen in here, they pretty much shot their wad on that stuff. And uh, they don't really have the option to do that kind of thing any longer. And I think if they had a little more money, they'd think about it. But because the Gordon thing really hasn't worked out, but the money is a real problem at this point. 
The one thing I would say about the Seahawks is beyond Metcalf and Lockett, they too are in need of what would be a, a third receiving outlet. And perhaps Beckham sees himself as being a real role player in that. I think right now you bring Beckham in, A, he would have to learn the playbook, and B, there would be a little bit of a clash, I think, with Gordon for who is going to mm-hmm. do that and where does that leave Demarcus yeah. Robinson and Byron Pringle and, and McCole Hardman, who – Subtly, you could tell that McCole Hardman is not thrilled with what his role has turned into in Kansas City. I, I see that sometimes yeah. in some of the press opportunities with them where he seems frustrated because he's just behind two of the best pass catchers of all time. And so you <laughs> right. just end up in a situation. You know, McCole Hardman, I've said this before, if he was in a lot of different places in the NFL, he might be the number two option. And it's just not is not the case in Kansas City. And it would get far worse. Odell Beckham Jr. was around. So I don't see it happening. Here's how this works, by the way. Odell will we'll see if he clears waivers. That'll happen uh, um, probably a few hours after this podcast gets released where you'll see the major newsbreakers reporting Pelissero, Schefter, Garofolo, Rap Sheet. They'll be talking about Beckham and whether or not he has cleared waivers. If he does then he'll be willing to negotiate with teams. And I, I'd imagine it could happen very quickly by Tuesday evening where he goes. I always say this, the NFC is better than the AFC for the Chiefs. Before we move on from this topic, I made a crucial mistake. So as I realized, uh, Baker Mayfield is a representative of progressive. So I know that there's some insurance people in the car listening to this. <laughs> I caught myself. You don't need to tweet me. I don't need an email. State Farm is Rodgers and Mahomes. Progressive is Baker Mayfield. I, let's call it the insurance cur- curse, not yeah. the State Farm curse. All right, John. Well, they don't in- help themselves. They run multiple campaigns for the same company. You it's know, Geico's got the, I, the gecko and then two or right. three other things that they do. And you can't, it's hard to keep them all straight. I, I get very, very confused. Okay, let's get into something that confuses me even more, and that's how the Chiefs deal out their snap counts. We have snap counts from Chiefs and Packers. John, you went over these. What stood out this week? Yeah, just uh, just finished the piece right before we, uh, we went down to record here this morning. Um, to me, the most interesting takeaways this week were the uh, the balance between running plays and passing plays. Uh, normally, for example, we see Travis Kelsey used pretty equally on uh, running plays versus passing plays. This week, he was on the field for all of the passing plays and a fairly and a much smaller than usual percentage of the running plays. Mm. And um, Blake Bell, who's the inverse of that, is on the field more often for running plays, um, had that gulf widen uh, this week. And then we also saw some changes in the running backs um, that where, you know, more recently we have seen the running backs be pretty close to the same percentage on running versus passing. But in this game, uh, uh, Daryl Williams was on the field quite a bit more often on running plays than passing plays. And Gerald, Jarek McKinnon was the inverse. When you add this, to the fact that fullback Michael Burton was on the field about three times more often than he normally is and was used mostly on running plays, you have to wonder if the Chiefs were telegraphing um, whether they were going to pass or run on a given play just for the personnel groupings. So Daryl and what would be Bell, as you're saying, would be 
indicating run. And then mm-hmm. McKinnon and Kelsey on the field would indicate a passing opportunity. Yeah. Which, and of which course, is this assumes something you that never they notice it. Yeah. This right. assumes that they notice it during the game, you know, and that's. Well, that's I'll tell you this the players, they catch up to these things. Like Tyron Matthew was very, very, very good at film, and it's and it rubbed off on Legarius Sneed. Sneed. He's a he's on the man of few words, but he he went to the podium the other night, and he said part of the reason that he got his interception was that he saw that a a route tell on tape. He saw that Rodgers had been tapping his left arm uh, to some extent, and that extended to uh, Jordan Love, who showed exactly the hot route, and, and Snead ended up knowing exactly the route, and that's why he was able to make his spectacular play on the interception. He said he knew it was coming. I'm sure that he got a nice talking to by the chief's public relations staff and said, maybe we shouldn't <laughs> tell them. We know that considering you could see the Packers in the Super Bowl. Obviously right, that is right. another ambitious prediction, but you never know. I mean, that could work themselves back into it. And now you've right. lost that edge. Um, but no, what, what, what I mean is, is, you know, there are people that are paid a lot of money to notice these things. So right. it is worth wondering, okay, Maybe the Chiefs hurt themselves in, in that sense. Anything else on the snap count front? Yeah, uh, the defensive line, I think, is the other headline. Um, you know, we saw Melvin Ingram used on nearly half of the snaps in his first game uh, with the Chiefs. I mean, uh, you know, the the trade happened, what, on Monday? And on uh, on the following Sunday, he's on the field for, uh, I think it was 47% of the snaps, just under 50%. And then, of course, Chris Jones. Um, who is still not on the field uh, in the gross number of snaps that we would typically see from him. And I think that has to do with the wrist injury that he's continuing to play through. But this week, for the first time, uh, we see it in the data we collect from the NFL on the snap counts that uh, we have a, a, a more defensive end snaps than we have defensive tackle stats uh, snaps which suggests that Jones is playing more to the inside, and that's confirmed by the numbers that Pro Football Focus has, which shows that on Sunday Jones was uh, playing on the inside uh, more often than on the outside, which is the first time that's happened this season, 64% of his snaps on the inside during Sunday's game. And I know a lot of Chiefs fans are very happy to hear that. No, I I think it's abundantly clear that the Chiefs have now – they don't want to say it if you've noticed at the press conferences, right. but they've waved the white flag a little bit on Chris Jones as a primary edge. And it, it was happening before Ingram was acquired. And I think Ingram only solidified their ability to do that. And I've said it in numerous places. If you're, you're crazy about the chiefs, you might've heard me say this already on, on different mediums. Ingram in his first look did not look like a player that you should trade. Uh, to an AFC contender that you mm-hmm. might be facing for one of the final wild card spots. We you know we just talked about how these two divisions are really competitive. I think you could see why the Steelers didn't want to trade him to what was uh, an AFC team initially. That was the initial report, but they wanted to get a draft pick somehow, some way. And so they ended up trading him to the Chiefs. I have two games in, in which I'm going to be eager to see how Ingram performs, uh, even though he scoffed at me at the press conference. I had CLA Chargers, where he played 10 years, uh, mm-hmm. because, wow, he looked like a player that was hungry against the Green Bay Packers, and then against the Steelers, where, again, did not really lean into the details at the press conference, but you could see that he was clearly dissatisfied with how it went in Pittsburgh. Well, yes, but uh, 
all things considered, they treated him pretty well in Pittsburgh. I can see him being mad at the Chargers for letting him move on. Right. But in Pittsburgh, they paid him a lot of money, at least, to play a pretty small number of games. Uh, so, I mean, I, I could see how he'd be laughing about that. Um, so, uh, but yeah, against the Chargers for sure. And maybe the Steelers, we could see a really well-motivated player. And certainly what we saw from him on Sunday against the Packers was very encouraging. All right. So those are your snap count takeaways. We've gone through the news. Now we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll go through Andy Reid and the key press conference takeaways from Monday afternoon. You're listening to the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, it's Pete Sweeney, it's John Dixon, it's a 5-4 and four Chiefs team. We're sitting pretty above 500. What under 500 Chiefs team? That doesn't exist, so that's a good thing. We are excited to now be covering a team that is on the come up. The defense looks pretty good. And Andy Reid asked about the defense went into really the health of this defensive line and really the unit as a whole. I I think I've played better. Some of it is just getting the guys back on the field as a, as a unit, um, uh, getting 24 in there, I think helped. I mean, that's a nice addition. You can add a pro bowl type player and, uh, on the defensive line, I, I, I think is, uh, you know, surely can't hurt. Right. And he got, <clears throat> he got quite a few snaps in there on, on uh, nickel situations. And um, so, uh, but they're, they're playing well together. And, and I think Spag's doing a nice job with the game plans. I think it's worth noting in this question. And we talked about Melvin Ingram before we took the commercial break. We didn't ask Reed in particular about any player. And he mentioned, 24 and so this is a move that you can tell pretty early on here that he's happy with through the one game long Mm -hmm. season but through one game he's he's content with what ingram has brought to the table much more than would be number 19 josh gordon through uh first couple games here right and and he acknowledged as he always does that they rotate these players to keep them fresh on the field so that they can continue to throw fastballs as as he likes to call it um at the offense so, uh, but yeah, you want those rotational players to be quality guys. And uh, it looks like they finally have the guy they wanted at defensive end. They apparently thought they could do it with Chris Jones, but that hasn't worked out as well as uh, as they hoped. And 
And now they get Ingram in there, and I'm pretty encouraged by this move, frankly. Andy Reid asked about what this means for Chris Jones, and as it turned out, Chris Jones was happy to move back inside. I know that we had covered the move to edge extensively throughout the offseason, and at one point he was thanking God that it finally happened to him, but it just wasn't working. And I think a lot of times in the NFL, you'll see teams, and they make a decision in the offseason, immediately it's not working, and they're stubborn, and they stick to it, and they say, no, we're going to force a round peg into a square hole i know there's some people in the car or wherever you're listening to this on on the treadmill saying yeah but that's what they did with Sorensen." fair point i i completely agree Sorensen <laughs> moving out of the lineup was about three weeks too late but here's andy Reid talking about chris jones and reacting to the move back inside you know we talked to uh, chris and he just <clears throat> chris just wants to do its best and help out wherever he can so um uh, he played a little, he played inside, he played a couple snaps outside, but he, he, he's, he sure did a nice job in there. I mean, I, that's, um, that's what I thought. And, and I appreciate his attitude on that as, as he, as he goes forward. So I think what's key there too, is Andy Reid noted, he's still going to be outside on some occasions and that goes back to your snap count. It really is just a reversal of what they were doing early on in the season. Correct. Well, actually it's a return to what they did last season. Well, there you go. I mean, that's yeah. that's roughly what we saw last season, that he was about two to one on the inside versus the outside. You know, all that really happened this year is that they changed the the little the two little letters next to his name on the roster and and flipped that percentage. It actually ended up being a little more than two to one defensive end to interior. But basically what they've done is they've put him back where he was last season, about two to one on the inside. Well, there you go. We talked about that a little bit in the last segment, so we don't have to spend too much time on the Chris Jones, but I thought Andy Reid's words were interesting and relevant for this topic. Let's move on to the <clears throat> former NFL MVP, the elephant in the room, the Patrick Mahomes struggles. I thought for a period in this game, and I, I ended up tweeting it out around halftime, I thought for a period in this game, the Chiefs had, and this is the wrong number because of inactives, but 52 players playing well and one not and one and his name was was Patrick Mahomes and it's just something you have not seen in years now people found my tweet later after Travis Kelsey had two drops and McCole Hardman had a drop and and found it and didn't realize the timing of it and said what about the drops no you're right I don't think Travis Kelsey or Hardman necessarily had great nights either and and it's a it's a period of time where I believe you got to have your skill position players and your offensive line playing well because your quarterback is struggling in order for Mahomes to get things going. You can't have the drops because if he's hitting you in the hands and he needs you to come down with the football to get in a rhythm, you got to be standing up and and stepping out for for your quarterback. And at times in key spots, it was not happening throughout this game. Now you saw the first eight minutes and that was the scripted part of the game. Andy Reid with a nice mix of pass and run, they methodically go down the field, score a touchdown. You had 48 minutes where it wasn't so good, and then you had the final drive, and, and we can get to that a, a little later as a potential, I think, catalyst for maybe this offense coming back to it. But there's been a, a key moment in the game where Mahomes took a deep shot to McCole Hardman, and it seemed like Travis Kelsey was just wide open underneath, and 
it goes into the decision-making of the quarterback, and Andy Reid was asked about that sequence in particular. He knows there are a handful of plays in the game plan. If I call him, then um, he's got the freedom to, to shoot it if, if he can get guys um, where in a one-on-one type situation there. And, and McColl was, you know, he, he, he had a pretty good opportunity to, to go grab it. And so he felt like that was a viable throw. So I'm okay with that. And then it, listen, if you complete it, it's great, but you get, you got to try or you're never going to, you're never going to complete them. Um, and, and so uh, within, you know, within realism on that, you've got a, uh, a realistic view of it. And that's what he felt like he had. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, I'm okay with that. You just have to make up for it. If you don't get it, you got to make up for it on second down and, and be positive there. So I, 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 Describe this on 610 with Fesco this morning, and, and I think it, it's it's where I'm at with Patrick Mahomes. I think it's a decision-making hesitance. And what I mean by that is I think he finally understands that he needs to stay in the pocket and he needs to respect the opposing defense. But at the same time, he's trying not to lose what is that uber-athleticism that he has those plays like the 2019 AFC title game where he's able to dart 20 yards down the field and score a touchdown in a huge spot. And only one of one players can pull off that particular kind of play. And so it is a little bit of a mind mess with them. And I described it as this, you pulling up to a stoplight and it suddenly turns yellow and you kind of speed up, but you're like, I don't think I'm going to make it. And then you stop and then you start and then you, and that could lead to an accident. And I, I think that's kind of where Mahomes is at. John, I thought you had a really nice piece uh, on what was Monday. What are the Chiefs doing to fix Patrick Mahomes? Kind of deep diving into some of the numbers behind this and some of the um, thought processes of the coaching staff on what they're doing with him. Where do you fall on what has become the struggles of QB1? Well, you know, at training camp in 2017, I believe this was the first day that you and I met, actually, was at training camp in 2017, the one day that I was up there uh, sitting with some friends. And I remember remarking to the fellow, whoever it was sitting next to me, I've forgotten now which person it was. And I said, you know, it's going to be very interesting watching the Chiefs fans react to the Chiefs turning Patrick Mahomes into a traditional NFL quarterback because we could see at that time, even before he'd played any significant snaps that he was not that kind of a quarterback. Um, and that the, the chiefs were going to have to, and this was, wasn't news. This is why he didn't go first in the draft is because he was thought not to be quite NFL ready. So we knew that this was going to happen sooner or later. What I think the Chiefs have done that has been genius has been to allow him to be himself for the first two or three years of his career so that he can learn how to be successful when he's just being himself and have that confidence in himself in those moments. Now that he's done that, they're going through a difficult transition trying to turn him into a long-term successful quarterback in the NFL. And there's just no way around this. He's going to have to learn how to be a more traditional pocket passer, take what the defense gives him in order to have long-term success in this league. That's just the way it is. 
Now, they have worked very hard to see to it that he knows that he's still going to be expected to occasionally play out of structure when the when the circumstances call for it. All that's happening now is that he's learning when those moments are. And sometimes they're not there, and that affects his confidence. And, you know, they're messing with his footwork and, you know, how far he drops back and, and all these things so that he can work more effectively with what is a, essentially a brand-new offensive line. All these things add up to him being inaccurate and hesitant and unsure of himself, which is what we're all seeing. But it's just because I think the coaches are trying to make that transition from this wild man that they drafted, who can be very successful in those improvised moments, into somebody who still has that capability, but can function like a traditional NFL quarterback. And, And I have complete belief, I have complete faith that Mahomes can be that guy. That he think, can be I think the struggle incredible. is just Yeah, I just think the struggle is when to do it and when not to do yeah, it right now. Right. And it, right. And, and, you and can I and, see that it's it's breaking him a little mm-hmm. bit. And I and I've said this before too and, and this is how I truly feel. I think this was unfortunately a discovery of the problem um that he is is facing during the season where you would typically want to work on this stuff during an off season like let's do a lot of drills to make sure that he is ready to make the right decision and be decisive. But the lab in a sense is happening right in front of our eyes right. because mm-hmm. it's something they, they discovered made like maybe he's not ready for this and, and it didn't hit them until early on in the season. So what you've seen is five and four, a departure from Patrick Mahomes and, and the dominance. But I, I think it's a nice reminder that he's human. And I, I think it's also a nice reminder that, We've seen quarterbacks that are great have struggles before. How many mm-hmm. times they have said Tom Brady was done in his career? Sure. Like five or six, right? Sure. Legitimately. Legit. Several and, times after Chiefs games. <laughs> right. The Monday night game. So yeah, dumb. Right. How yeah. dumb is that now? Yeah. I mean, he looks like yeah. the best quarterback this year. Yeah. 2021. That was four years ago, five years ago. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think you got to be cautious about about what you say and, and the takes you make, because uh, I think, I think he's close to all of a sudden turning it on again. Uh, and I, I agree. And, yeah. and I think the chiefs feel that way. And when it happens, they may turn the league uh, on its head really quickly. Again, going back to that initial point that the AFC remains wide open. All right, let's get to the final Andy Reed point with his win on Sunday. It was his 226 career win. That ties Pro Football Hall of Fame coach Curly Lambeau, as in Lambeau of Lambeau Field. Reed is not one for individual accolades, but I thought his words were interesting on this one. Yeah, well, listen, I mean, I was there seven years and played in Lambeau Field. So <clears throat> when they start naming fields after you, that, that means you did a pretty good job. But he was an interesting guy. You know, he, um, he, he was right at the forefront of the National Football League and the Green Bay Packers and, <clears throat> and, um, I thought just, uh, you know, he seemed like a real character, too. He had, he had a, a good personality and disposition, it seemed like, but also brought quite a bit of toughness to the to the group. So um, you couldn't help but learn about him when you were there, uh, especially for the number of years I was there. So, um, I, I mean, it's an honor. It's hard to believe, but it's, a, you know, it's an honor and uh, to have your name even mentioned close to this guy. So, I mean, I'm, I'm 
yeah, I'm, I'm humble about it and honored. So there you go. I think Reed has a ton of respect for uh, the history of the game. John, not often that a coach predates both of us, but he was the <laughs> Packers head coach from 1919 to 1949, the Chicago Cardinals from 1950 to 1951, and then the Washington franchise from 1952 to 1953. Again, 226 wins with his next win, which could be on Sunday night in Las Vegas. Reed would be fifth all-time in wins that's incredible and you know you think about the amount of years now they were playing less games in in that age but 34 years for lambo reed has done it now in what would be 21 years and i mm-hmm. i think this is something and i know he went into it about lambo but this is something that probably matters to him more than you'll ever hear i sometimes wonder what andy reed's hall of fame speech is going to be like because it'll be the first time in his 20 or at that point, maybe 25 year career, 30 year career where he's having to kind of talk about himself for once. Uh, it's probably going to break his brain. Speaking of indecisiveness and trying to figure <laughs> out your, your brain around it. And so really cool. I just think it's a really cool part of it. I know it doesn't have to do a lot with today's team and that seems to be what everybody wants to talk about. But uh, again, I, I think it's a nice rem- reminder to smell the roses, a nice reminder that, you know, you're watching history when you watch Andy Reid coach uh, each and every week. Well, you know, what strikes me about it is that right now, because the Chiefs are struggling on offense, there are a lot of fans who think that Andy Reid's time here is done. And I don't buy that at all. I mean, I sure, you know, the team is having problems. But this is a guy who has had extended long-term success in this league. There isn't another guy who's had this amount of success with two different teams in different conferences. I mean, that's an amazing, an amazing accomplishment that Reed has. It's one thing to move to another team in the same conference and then go about your business playing teams that you normally play all the time, but then to go to another conference and play a bunch of teams that you're not used to playing and rise to that level of success again? Wow. Reed is a great coach. He's older, you know, like I am, but I'm not I'm not done and neither is Andy. And I think that he we just have to figure out how to he just has to figure out how to get over this next hump. He has shown that he's not set in his ways, that he's willing to change, that he's willing to adapt his teams based on the personnel that he has and the things that he has to work with on multiple occasions. If that were not the case, he would not be as successful as he's been. He wouldn't have had these accomplishments. So I think this, you know, reaching this milestone at this moment ought to be a wake-up call for some of these fans who are thinking it's time for Andy to go. If he play, you know, if the team has a losing record for two or three seasons, maybe it's time to have that conversation. But we're not there yet, not by a long shot. And I think Reed has earned the the respect to not have that conversation at this point i think that's well said i have nothing more to add for a change and uh, with that we'll take another quick break and after after the break we will get to our world famous marinated takeaways stay with us on the arrowhead pride editor show another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, I'm going to let this marinate. You know, let that one marinate and then we can circle back. Adapt. React. Readapt. It takes time. It takes years. <laughs> That's the takeaway. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon, the Chiefs get their fifth win of the season over the Green Bay Packers, 13-7. to It's been a couple days now. I much like it, or I should say, I like it much better when we have a couple days to think about it before we have to do our not-so-merited takeaways, like after Monday Night Football. That problem won't happen again. Actually, they can flex Monday Night Football. I forgot about that this year. Maybe it will happen again. Uh, but not anytime soon. So let's get into our marinated takeaways between the Chiefs and the Packers. John, let's start with you. Oh, I have to start? Okay. Well, this is one that occurred to me earlier while you were talking, and I wanted to make a point and didn't get it in because we got off on a little tangent there. This is not actually about the Chiefs, but uh, it's about one of the teams that they have to worry about in the AFC race this year, and that's the Tennessee Titans. I think it was really interesting that everyone immediately thought the Titans were going to have trouble when they lost Derrick Henry for the season. And I think that it, it, it illustrates a point that we need to remind ourselves about. If, you're a, if you have a great running back on your team, part of it is the offensive line. Part of it is the players supporting that running back. A lot of people would say most of it is it. Yeah, right, right. And 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 I would actually agree with that, that most of it is. So to suggest that the Titans were suddenly going to be terrible because they don't have Derrick Henry probably wasn't a good take. Um, they And they have shown that, that they have demonstrated that it wasn't just about Derrick Henry. And I'm not trying to run Derrick Henry down at all. Not at all. The guy is incredible. But it, it wasn't all about him. And so they haven't allowed that to mess with them, and they went and got a big win against, you know, a really good NFC team. So they deserve all the respect in the world. And I would just make another marinated take based on the Titans situation. We knew Mike Vrabel was a smart guy during the brief period he played at the Chiefs, and he's just showing that now, that he is a a smart guy and a good coach. And when they're not facing Kansas City, I wish him all the success. I think it's a great point, and they also have a fantastic defense. Matt Stafford was rolling heading into that game. Jeffrey Simmons, one of the better up-and-coming players in this league, he was able to have three sacks in the game. So you can tell that stemming from him, they can get pressure on the opposing quarterback. There were key interceptions in this game, including a a key pick six. The Titans are a legit team, and we were wondering about them. And I, I think a lot of folks, and I think rightfully so, looked at their division with the Carson Wentz Colts, the Urban Meyer Jaguars, the complete mess that is the Houston Texans, and rode them off a little bit because they'd be playing less than par competition and kind of felt like they they would be this team that would just simply backdoor, in a sense, in, in, into the playoffs. And I think they're in prime position right now to be a team that that wakes up and says, why not us? We could win the rest of our games and get the AFC bye week. If you look at the rest of their games, it's the Saints. Their quarterback is Trevor Simeon. The Texans, 
New England has kind of turned it on. Then you have the Steelers. I still think that I like the Steelers better than I did at the beginning of the year, but I think the Titans can win that game. Then you have the 49ers, the Dolphins, and the Texans. The Tennessee Titans are 7-2. The AFC mm-hmm. bye is for the taking for them with that schedule. Yeah, they, really should, they should get it. So I think that's a great point by you. I want to talk about the uh, opening script a little bit more in my first marinated takeaway. I think the Chiefs are overthinking in-game a little bit, and this goes back to Andy Reid. I am not one of those people that's saying Andy Reid should be replaced. But I think it's apparent from the opening script that the idea, and and for those who don't know, and let's just remind people quickly, the opening script is the Andy Reid specialty, and and a lot of coaches do do this, offensive coaches, offensive play callers, where they evaluate the matchup, and to open the game, they script literally in stone their first 15 plays, and they roll with that, and this gives them an edge because there really isn't a lot of thinking. They can get them to their quarterback. They can get them to an, their offensive staff. They can get their players visualizing, which has been on the up and up uh, as we go along here in, in just the past few years. And Andy Reid is the best at this, uh, best offensive play caller in the league. Again, room room for, for improvement this year for sure, but historically this has been the key. So wh- where does that? what does that mean? The Chiefs, in their opening script, ran the ball seven times. Meaning the thought process on Thursday and Friday and Saturday was we're going to run the football. We're going to try to be balanced here. They ran four times the rest of the half. The offense scored a touchdown. Their only touchdown of the game with the opening script. So there's a thought process that's happening prior to the game that we want to be even keel. We want to be balanced. We want to have this balance of pass and run. And we have seen the offense looks the best this year when they're willing to commit to running the football. This seems to be something that that escapes them during the game. And I don't think you can even necessarily say, no, it's it's like a game against the Tennessee Titans, who we just talked about, where they're down 14 nothing, and then all of a sudden the mentality changes. This has been something that we have seen in a game which would be considered like a neutral game script against a Packers team who really doesn't have a ton to offer when it comes to quarterback play that, that you're playing. And you saw a little bit of them going against the going away from the run after I think that eight minute, fifteen play opening drive, and I just think there just needs to be a firmer commitment throughout the game, and that alleviates some of the pressure that we talked about all episode with Patrick Mahomes. Well, you know, I think one of the problems here is the team's reliance on RPOs on run pass option plays where Mahomes is making the decision about whether the play is going to be a run or a pass in the moment the play is run. It's, it's not quite the same as a play action pass, you know, in a play action pass, it's going to tend to be a pass RPO. Yeah. You know, in theory it could go either way or else it isn't very useful. And I think I've seen some fans making this point that if they went back to a more traditional kind of running game, mm-hmm. they might be more effective with it, and then uh, they and and they would have more control over it, because Mahomes, because of his nature, which we all know, is to go after the big play, uh, is tending towards the pass on these RPOs. So I right. think that's part of the trouble. It may be that they're calling those plays that they expect to be runs, and Patrick, in the heat of the moment, is going, no, I, I see I see my guy down there. I think I can hit him and go for it. So that's, I think, part of the trouble. But I agree 
that, and I've been making this point myself uh, since pretty early on in the season, that it's not that the Chiefs are going to win games by running the ball down an opponent's throat. The reason they need to run the ball is to keep defenses honest. Mm-hmm. So they can't just, you know, do the the two high safety looks, which is one of the things that's been causing the Chiefs trouble. They have to be honest because the Chiefs are capable of running the ball. That has been the thing that's been missing from the Chiefs' offense ever since Kareem Hunt left. And I think that they have an opportunity to get that back with yeah. the offensive line that they have, especially on the interior. And that's why it's important, in my view. So I think you're making a great point here, Pete, that – that they've got to figure out how to get that happening through the whole game, not just through the opening script where they're testing what the defense will do against certain looks. All right, John, continue on. What's your next marinated takeaway? Yeah, you know, I, I got to thinking about it, uh, you know, because I mentioned a, a stat that I know that you're aware of, that uh, the Chiefs, uh, for only the second time since Andrew Reid became the head coach, had a game where the two teams combined for 20 or fewer points. On Sunday, the last game was six years ago, I believe, in 2015, a 10-3 uh, uh, victory over the uh, then San Diego Chargers um, with Alex Smith at quarterback. And, you know, you can't help when you hear about something like that to think, oh, my God, have we returned to Alex Smith yeah. at quarterback uh, with a defense backing him up? Well, first of all, Patrick Mahomes is not Alex Smith. He's never going to be Alex Smith. What we're actually hoping for is that he'll become a little bit like Alex Smith and uh, and be a little more accepting of making those short throws that, that move the sticks. We right. don't want him to be Alex Smith. The thing I like about it, you know, that part makes me nervous. That makes That part makes other fans nervous. But the thing to like about it is... That in that time period, that was the time that Bob Sutton was still putting a good point-scoring defense on the field. A team that it, a defense that was capable of holding down scores against their opponents. And so that's a good thing that, yeah. you know, the defense was able to do that not just against some bottom-dwelling team, but against a good team, okay, I mean, yeah, Aaron Rodgers wasn't there. I get that. But they didn't run all over the Chiefs. Devontae Adams didn't, you know, break the game wide open, even with the passes from a a first-time starting quarterback. And those things could have happened. We've seen those things happen against the Chiefs. So, you know, yes, it's it's a bad vibe to think about the Alex Smith-led Chiefs, but... I like the fact that the defense is kind of getting back to to that to that mojo that they had under Sutton in those first few years with Andy Reid. Super hip of you to say vibe in 2021, John. You are <laughs> you're killing it. Uh, you would, I've got you the, cer- I've got the overalls vibe. You you're certainly a groovy grandpa, as you like to describe. <laughs> no, I I I think you're correct. I I think there is a little bit of that swagger, and I I think in my next point that extends to Mahomes I'm not one to think on one play everything is suddenly fixed but Mahomes's reaction to that final play where he's able to convert on third down and it looked like that vintage Mahomes play where it wasn't in structure it was out of structure he he got to his right made a throw on the run uh, as he likes to do hits the guy in the chest able to bring it down 
And then just it was I don't even think it was a celebration like we are good. It's just this it it felt to me like a grand sigh of yeah. relief. I can still yeah. do this kind of proving it to himself a little bit. And mm-hmm. so you wonder about the confidence he could maybe draw from that going into now. I, it, it not only is an opportunity in division, but the fact of the Sunday night football surround you're playing Derek Carr on national TV. Everyone is doubting you. Everyone say, says the Chiefs stink. This is a narrative game. This is yeah, one what everybody's really going to be watching. Colin Cowherd, mm-hmm. who likes to pick on the Chiefs. Stephen A. Smith, who says they're done. The Skip Baylesses of the world. Pat McAfee, the pardon my take guys. Everyone who thinks that the Chiefs are suddenly the fall-off team. You could readjust everybody's expectations yeah. on Sunday night, and you're sure coming could. off a vintage in three years. Does vintage make even sense? It doesn't even make sense, but a vintage <laughs> Mahomes play. Yeah. So let's yeah. see how he builds off that. All right. So, John, do you have any more marinated takeaways? Because I have one, but it, it bleeds into best Chiefs thing. Uh, let's see. Uh, now I've 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 lost track of it. Uh, what? Oh. Oh, oh, I remember now. Okay. Uh, the Chiefs have taken a lot of heat uh, for trading away a draft pick to get Melvin Ingram uh, mm-hmm. when they could well, have. Now they can't get the next Trey Smith, John. Right, right, exactly. When they could have uh, signed him uh, during the offseason. And I think the Chiefs handled this perfectly. Right. You know, we know now what Melvin Ingram wanted to all about come the to Benjamins. Kansas City. Yeah, a lot, right. He wanted a lot of Benjamins, about right. uh, $4 million, which the Chiefs didn't have. There should be a president and, for a $1,000 bill, because then it would be easier. There should to, be. Yeah, yeah, there should Go be. Uh, and, um, uh, well, actually, I think there is, but I don't know which president it is. Cause I've, There's a $1,000 actually... bill? Yeah, there is a 1000 I think that's the largest denomination. that You're making that have. up. There is not a $1,000 no, no. bill. Oh, yeah, I think there is. I'll, okay, All right, we'll continue on your point. Continue on your point. Yeah. No, continue on your point. I'll look this up. But uh, uh, they they wanted to, I think they wanted to sign him. I think they didn't want to depend on Chris Jones as the defensive end this year. They were willing to give him a shot to do it, to, to you know, play more often on the outside rather than the inside because they thought that they would, you know, if they could get another guy like Melvin Ingram in there or if Joshua Kando had worked out better, you know, that they, they wanted to have a lot of options there. That's the way... Steve Spagnuolo likes it, but Ingram wanted too much money, and so they couldn't make it happen. So they they say, "Sorry, you know, sorry, Melvin, love to have you, but we just can't pay, make that price." I don't see why it's a bad thing that they gave up a late round draft pick and signed him for what was it, five hundred and sixty thousand dollars or something. And get the player that they wanted all along. I mean, yeah, it'd been nice to have had him over the first part of the season, but it just wasn't in the cards. So I, I just, I'm just astonished by this. And and now, when it also gives them the option to do what they probably should have done a while ago and move yeah. Chris Jones back on the inside, what's not to like about this? What is not to I like? Know. And there's a counterpoint to the drafting too, because people are saying, oh. It's, you know, you can't get the next Trey Smith now. And I was joking about that. You could trade into the, the sixth round by easily. 
the Chiefs, yeah. if you remember, to get Bo Pete Keys, who now plays for the Colts, traded back into the draft. You could do that on on day three. Now for our 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 history lesson here. You're correct. I can't even believe this. The one thousand dollar <laughs> bill featured Alexander Hamilton. There was also a five thousand dollar bill that was initially issued to finance the Revolutionary War, and that had James Madison on it. There was a ten thousand dollar bill with someone named yeah. Salmon P. Chase on it. There was even a hundred thousand dollar bill that was never used for consumption publicly because that would have been insane. And right. it had Woodrow Wilson on it. So the correction here is it's all about the Wilsons, not the, yeah. the Benjamins yeah. when it comes to um, Melvin Ingram. The more you know, I had no idea that. Yeah, there I were... knew that there had been denominations larger than a thousand before that, that they had stopped using because dumb. they didn't. You know, because now Could you imagine course, if these bills were out there, the amount of. Oh, I know. I know. And that's exist. why they don't use them anymore is because it would Holy. be that much easier for for drug kingpin. No stuff. wonder the chiefs so. don't have paper tickets anymore. This is crazy. What are we doing? <laughs> All right. We've delayed long enough. Steve, uh, let's go to the best chiefs thing we heard all week. Was the challenge play, preparing for Jordan Love, who's never played in a regular season NFL game? Yeah, it's limited, it's limited tape, you know. Um, but uh, we knew that those guys weren't going to change too much uh, as far as scheme uh, and, and personnel, obviously. But um, uh, he's a hell of a player. He, he'll have a great career in this league. Spags talked all week. You guys are preparing for Matt LaFleur's yeah. scheme. Was it the scheme? And how much did it change in game? I don't think it changed too much. Obviously, you know, Aaron Rodgers has the potential to change a lot of things at the line of scrimmage. I don't think Jordan's there yet, but he'll get there. Um, but other than that, um, it was the same offense. Well, there you go. And and I've seen the point this week. And again, as I said, the best Chiefs thing bleeds into my final marinated takeaway. I've seen the point in hot take this week that just because the Chiefs defense had a great game against Jordan Love, it, it doesn't mean anything. Well, it, it means less for sure. It, sure. it means something. This is a league where we saw Cooper Rush on Sunday Night Football beat Kirk Cousins, who has played a lot more games than Cooper Rush has. And we have seen a week where Colt McCoy and and who who would have thought that the Cardinals offense could could be successful without Kyler Murray, who was an MVP candidate. Colt McCoy makes no chance for the San Francisco 49ers who had Jimmy G and George Kittle back in the mix to win that football game, a division game. And so to, to say, okay, the Chiefs' defense was good because of the quarterback, I get it. It's a little bit different. This is a second-year sure. player. He's making his first career start. It's in a raucous Arrowhead Stadium environment, which is going to help the Chiefs. But the Chiefs still had to defend Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon mm-hmm. and Devontae yeah. Adams, and they mm-hmm. had to do it well. And they there were real signs of a pass rush. I don't care who the quarterback was. We have not right. seen that this right. year. There mm-hmm. were signs that the second yep. level was fine with Anthony Hitchens mm-hmm. returning. I knew that yep. there were some problems with that. And Traverius Ward and Ladarius Sneed had the game of their lives. And we're burying the biggest marinated takeaway at all. Mr. Hare, Tommy Townsend. Get that guy some shampoo. He deserves it. The best game of his career. So you had the best game of Townsend's career. You had the best game of Sneed's career. I think, yeah, Rodgers in there would have made this a much more interesting game, one that maybe the Chiefs lose because you would think that he could score 14 points. That's the reality. But to just say and throw out this defensive performance, I think it's crazy because I think this is repeatable against the Raiders offense and what Derek Carr does. And Dak Prescott last week didn't look good. Those are the Chiefs' next two opponents. So 
build off this. You can only control what you can control. You can only play who you play. I was really happy to see the Chiefs defense do this. And again, I think it matters. I really think it matters. And that's my grand point in my final narrative takeaway, my final best Chiefs thing we heard all week. You know, right before we began recording the podcast, I was on the air with my pals at WGEM in uh, Quincy, Illinois, where I go on and talk about the Chiefs periodically. And they asked me a similar question. And I said, well, you know, look, I don't think that uh, the Chiefs could have blitzed as much as they did against Aaron Rodgers and not have Aaron Rodgers light him up. But they game plan specifically because Aaron Rodgers wasn't there. So, yes. If if we had if the defense had played the game exactly the same way against Aaron Rodgers, yeah, Aaron Rodgers probably wins that game. But if Aaron Rodgers had been playing, they would have done something else. So you know, again, the the unseen chess match between the coordinators. You know what they prepare to do, what they prepare to do in response to what they think the other guy is going to do. You know, it goes back and forth, and we never know exactly how that works because we're not in the meetings to find out, you know, what it is they're deciding to emphasize and what it is they're going to do because they of what they think the other team was going to do. I think that this shows that Spagnolo's still got it. You know, I think a couple of these losses this year have been because Spagnolo has poorly planned the game. But in this one he did it exactly right and that just demonstrates that he can still do that. And I think that's a good thing. Could be a, a how Spag's got his groove back type yeah. of game for the <laughs> yeah. Chiefs. All right. We're over time. We have to close down. If you leave us a podcast review, uh, as I said, we we haven't had a review in a while. I'll read it on the Arrowhead Pride editor show next week. Uh-oh. So please do that. Give us a rating. You can say whatever you want. I'll read it and react to it. And it is what it is at this point. Uh, <laughs> thank you for joining us on the Arrowhead Pride editor show. Stay tuned to the network. We'll be continuing with the Arrowhead Drive, the Great British Chiefs show. Our guys from the show in BK will be previewing the game of Sunday Night Football on the interview series. Plenty to look forward to right here on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. For John Dixon, I'm Pete Sweeney. Thank you for joining us on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show.